Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Wednesday edition PFTPM, Miles Simmons, Mike Florio here with you as we get closer and closer to Super Bowl 56, just 11 days away. Is that right? That's right. It's only 11 days away, and I'm coming to Los Angeles, Miles, in only three days. (laughs) The countdown has officially begun, and full disclosure, I am not looking forward to to the trip but i guess it's something i have to deal with okay that's very nice i'm not really looking forward to seeing you seeing you either mike all right that's that's great you know i don't mean that i don't mean that i don't mean that feel good at the start of the show on a wednesday you know that's fine that's cool it has has nothing it has (laughs) nothing to do with you i know it usually is all about you but it has absolutely nothing to do with you the fact that you and i may cross paths is one of the few bright spots in the may what do you mean May. Exiting May. I don't know that we will or won't. It's a big city. You never know. You never know. You never know. We literally work together. Like I don't know what you're talking about. We we may. We've never met. Like we've worked. We've worked together for a year and a half, and we've never met. Well, it actually don't you want to keep that streak alive? You have no idea how long I've worked with you, which is also kind of funny. I mean, you say it you, like it was over a year when it was not a year. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. But it's barely wait a minute. Been a year. What? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's been a year ish. It feels yes, a lot no. longer. It feels like an okay, eternity. Well, I, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Any time spent with me, which is why you don't want to come to LA and hang out. Like we're not, again, this. Oh, we may cross paths. Like we're not going to sit together and cover the game. Like, wh- why are you saying? Why are you, oh, why are you saying? Oh, know. you don't. I don't know. know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, listen. Don't get within four feet of me if you were watching the show one day last week. Were you on the show the day that I gave fair warning? Oh, that was Sims. I told Sims and everyone else. I don't know if it's the morning, the evening. I will. I will punch you. I will punch you. You're on fair notice. And I know what? that that the pandemic is subsiding. Like you're hearing all this. And I, I think it's I think it's bullcrap. I think it's as bad as it's ever been. I'm just very stressed about leaving my cocoon and and entering a hot zone as far as I'm concerned, which is Los Angeles. The images of the maskless throng at SoFi Stadium did nothing on Sunday to make me feel any better about it. So that, welcome to welcome to my sanity or lack thereof. I'm just very stressed about the trip to come. And I guess I need to bring with me copious amounts of alcohol or mind-altering well, substances. Bring okay. those. Bring that. You can. Well, there's there are plenty of uh, mind-altering substances that are legal in Southern California that are not in West Virginia. So maybe you can try one of those. There's actually a dispensary right by the convention center. So, yeah, so my baked goods for the week of Super Bowl will result in me <laughs> getting baked potentially. That would make for some interesting shows. Next week. By the way, we'll be at the convention center live five to seven Eastern every day. Now, the bad news is, and I don't think I've told anybody this yet publicly, the morning show is basically going to be a repeat of the evening show, maybe with some new elements. But we're not 
doing the show. I know we dragged you out of bed one day to do the live show at 4 a.m. Pacific time. Sorry, folks. We're not going to the convention center at 4 a.m. Pacific <laughs> time to do two hours of live TV. And it, See, uh, I would do it. Just, you guys just need to get up. Okay. Tune in next week from the convention center. <laughs> Miles Simmons by himself with no crew, no guests, no co-host, no anything. Possibly even no access to the building. Tune yeah, in, Miles Simmons, 4 a.m. local time. For two hours. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Oh, I got to do it yesterday. Most of two hours. It was fun. It was okay. I was there for a got bit. Through it. Yeah. That's true. You helped me. You and Paul Allen at the end of the day. Paul Allen, actually, let me tell you this. This is a funny story, and then we've got to get to the news. I, I, the, the news I've just been so worn down by the news of the past two days, too. I think it's this perfect storm of just, like, anxiety and stress, and it's just not a good day. But anyway, this is therapeutic. Talking to you will help me put on a brighter disposition. Anyway, yesterday when Paul Allen was on the show, I guess at one moment, briefly, his phone number ended up on the screen. So, oh. so... When the show was aired on Sky Sports NFL in the UK, one of the viewers there froze the image and texted him and (laughs) texted him all day long. And Paul Allen, who has a weekday show on KFAN in Minneapolis, nine to noon central time. He had the guy on his show today. He had the guy call in. So we accidentally created a transcontinental is that the right word? Transatlantic. So. Trans something. Uh-huh. Transatlantic would be the word. I think transatlantic or transcontinental. Maybe both. Well, it's, Friendship it's a different between Paul Allen yeah, it is. Yeah, cool. and some guy named John in the UK. So, well, that's fun. We're doing all we can to spark friendships. I guess so. Yeah. An international friendly, let's call it. And uh, regardless, I can't think of any transition. So we move on. There is none. Anytime you can't think of any transition, you just say, on we go to the news. The Brian Flores litigation continues to be the top story in the NFL. And there are so many layers to this one, so many pieces, so many different directions that the case will take us. And I've been trying to to basically handle these stories in a gradual fashion, you can't dump it all at once or a lot of it will get missed. And there are different developments that are coming up as we are processing issues that are contained in the complaint. I've got a list of stories to write just based on the complaint, and I can't get back to them because there's constantly new developments. And one of the developments from today, and this only took one day, a call for a congressional hearing Representative Bobby Rush in a letter to the league says, I urge you to swiftly hold a hearing on the issue of systemic racism in the NFL. Indirect response to the Brian Flores lawsuit alleging racial discrimination ongoing and long lasting in the NFL. I'm not surprised. The NFL is already under assault by Congress, rightfully so, for the handling of the Washington football team workplace misconduct investigation. This is a close cousin to that. It's the same thing. It's improper employment practices it's just a different category of the same problem no surprise that the nfl finds itself in a mess that is number one of its own making but number two is spreading well right and and i think the other thing about this is that when you're looking at the nfl's popularity and how really essential it has become in American life and everyday life. That's why this becomes a matter of congressional interest. Right? You're, you're not seeing anything drawn numbers when it comes to television viewers like the NFL. 
you don't see anything drawing, you know, 30 plus million viewers, let alone the 45 to 50 million that we saw watch these AFC and NFC championship games over the weekend. So when you have something that is so really, like I said, essential to what is American public life, that's why this becomes a matter of interest for Congress, because it is one of the the biggest things, biggest entities, biggest organizations, if you want to call it that, that we have in America. So if you have discriminatory hiring practices, and if there is now allegations that are really, really, I I would call them explosive from a head coach that just got fired and is still up for jobs within this hiring cycle. That's why it becomes a matter that Congress can be interested in and really, frankly, should have hearings over. And when Congress first expressed interest in the Washington football team situation and Explained, as you did, that the NFL is the subject of intense public interest and millions of people watch the games. The NFL did not push back against that contention. The NFL is not questioning the jurisdiction of Congress to be concerned about these issues. The knee-jerk reaction for so many people's, uh, people who hear th- about things like this is, doesn't Congress have better things to do? Well, yes, it does, but it also has this to do. And it's capable of doing multiple things. And when the NFL is a major source of public attention, taxpayer money, revenue from the average person who goes to games, who buys things at games, who spends their time consuming the content by watching the games or going to NFL-owned media properties, betting on games through legalized means, yeah, there's... There's justification for Congress to be interested because the things the NFL does, just like with taunting, you know, their justification for trying to turn players into robots after the whistle and never do anything that would remotely approach getting in someone's face. They say they they don't want players at lower levels of the sport to mimic those behaviors. That that same thing applies to everything else the NFL does. Hiring practices, everything, everything. And... Uh, If it's okay for the NFL to do it, people in all walks of life with all forms of business are going to think it's okay for them too. So this is necessary, and the NFL is okay with that basic issue of oversight. The question is whether or not there will be fights over the substantive issues. They've resisted giving the information on the Washington football team investigation, shockingly not, and they'll resist any potential responsibility for the claims that Brian Flores is making. But they won't question and shouldn't question the right of Congress to exercise its powers when it comes to at least exploring these matters and trying to find out whether there's something that needs to be rectified. Well, right. And I think it's not just about the league, though. And I I feel like it's kind of important to make this distinction, even though we are talking about the NFL as a league and as an entity. But it's not really just the NFL's hiring practices. And I don't know that we can just blanket it like that, because you got to talk about the 32 member clubs. Right. If we look at the upper echelon of NFL leadership, it's not like it's all just old white men. Right. And now, yes, we've never had anything but a white male commissioner. But I I think, you know, on the whole, you look at the league. 
right? And the league's hiring practices within that building at 345 Park Avenue. And then now we can say that the, the building that's basically down the street from me down here um, in Inglewood in Southern California, it's not like that's all we see. Right. It's not like, you know, the, the, the head coaches that we see from the 32 member clubs of which there are only three minorities and only one of whom is black. So that to me is where there's a difference. And that is where, you know, when we're talking about Congress, it can't just be about the league itself. It has to be about the 32 member clubs and what are they doing specifically when they are trying to hire certain people in order to be their head coach? Why are they not looking at certain factors, right? How are they determining that they should then fire a black head coach maybe a year before they would on average fire a white head coach. That was something that was very interesting to me that was, you know, in the many, many pages of that lawsuit that came out yesterday. So there's a lot to this, as you said, Mike, and it's not just about the league. It's also about the way the 32 member clubs operate. And see, that's the disconnect because the league can only do so much Right. When it comes to making teams do things, the league can put guidelines and rules in place, but he can't force an NFL team to hire a certain person. I don't think you want it to get to that point where there is a mandate. A couple of years ago, there was a discussion of having draft pick incentives for hiring black coaches and general managers. And the pushback on that justifiably was you will have guys who are walking through the door wondering, am I only here because I've carried with me two extra third round picks? I I think that you need to ultimately change the way that the decision makers make their decisions. And Miles, this is something that Peter King and I were talking about earlier today. And this is a radical concept, but it may be what ultimately needs to happen. You've got these teams owned by and controlled by one person. The NFL is very big on that. That's one of the reasons why the Broncos are being sold. It's why the Titans had to reshuffle some things after Bud Adams passed. He didn't vest control of the team in one of the three branches of his family tree, and they had to fight over it. And one of the branches got bought out by the other two, and it finally got resolved that way. But there always has to be one person who can make decisions on behalf of the team. The problem is, and I've used this example with the Green Bay Packers all the time, because in Green Bay, because it's a corporation and it's been a corporation for decades because they were out of money in the 20s and they issued stock to raise money to survive. Currently, that business model is not prohibit or is not allowed in the NFL. But there isn't one person who can do whatever they want, however they want, whenever they want. And, you know, maybe that's what these other teams need to be. Maybe they all need to be publicly held corporations. Maybe they need to have boards of directors that are made up of a diverse body of decision makers. Maybe there needs to be committees that provide oversight. Maybe the decision should never be vested in one person who is the emperor riding butt naked down the street on the back of a horse with all of the sycophants fawning around him or her saying, good idea, boss, instead of, thank you very much. Well, it depends on which owner, I guess, but but, let's not not even start (laughs) I just, I just totally pushed you off the track. You were really going there and making great let's points. Let's not even and then, start. And then you decided to go there Conjuring. and I just pushed you off the track. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not really that yeah. sorry, actually. Uh, okay. You got to find the fun somewhere in this. But, but my point is this. Hey, you either laugh or you cry. My point is this. It can't just be one person making these decisions. It yes. can't be 
the oligarch who is so accustomed to never being told no mm-hmm. that the concept becomes foreign. This is the seven-year-old kid who always gets what he or she wants. This is Veruca Salt. But you always get what you want, and most of the time you don't even have to ask for it. The people around you are sufficiently in tune with the messages you're sending that they give you what you want before you even have to say it. Wouldn't that be the life? That may not be the best way to run a billion-dollar business that complies with all relevant federal, state, and local employment laws. Obviously, look at the numbers. Look at the numbers. I've been saying this all day, Miles. If I was explaining this to a jury, it's very simple. Take a coin, flip it 500 times. If it comes up heads 490 times, there's something wrong with the coin. And that's what happens when it's time for the NFL to hire minority coaches and general managers. There's clearly something wrong by virtue of the product that has been generated. Who cares about the process? The product speaks for itself. That's why this lawsuit was waiting to be filed for years. All it took was one person with the courage to basically put his career on the line to stand up on behalf of himself and everyone else who has been mistreated in the past and would continue to be mistreated in the future if someone didn't take a stand. Well, the the really interesting thing that you said about that, just in all of that to me, is the fact that you're thinking about board of directors, right? These boards of governors. And this is how we see big corporations operate in reality, like in in real life, in everyday life. You know, you think about like Coke or PepsiCo or, you know, any one of these big, big corporations, why do they implement different different statutes that they have, different rules that they have, different hiring practices that they have? It's because it's not just all relying upon one specific person. That really, really makes a difference. And so when you're thinking about like how are these different decisions going to get made so that the hiring practices change, it really just cannot be that one person because when you have, and like pardon the expression, but like F you money, then you get to say F you, I'm going to do whatever it is that I want to do and you can't stop me. And that's why we have the situation that we have where every single head coach, but three right now, are all white men, right? So if it has to be determined by a greater number of people, decisions have to be made by a greater number of people, then you're going to get that diversity of thought in the process, right? And that's where the things are really going to get changed from the result. Because no matter how many different um, rules you have to implement or, you know, where, whether it's the Rooney rule where they have increased the number of minority coaches that you have to interview before you make a decision, before you actually hire one, like it doesn't necessarily matter if somebody already has in the back of their mind, as Mike, you've said, you know, but many times during this last month, month and a half, whatever it's been, that, you know, probably what, 70 to 80 percent of coaches, when they get fired, the owner already has a guy in mind who they want to hire as their next head coach. Right. So no matter how many interviews you do, it's a lot of times it's not going to change. So unless you have more people in the room that are that really get to help make those decisions, I don't know that the result is going to change no matter how many different iterations we get of the Rooney rule, Uh, unless the process and decision-making is very substantially different, you're not going to get a different result. 
Oh, you're absolutely right. And all of these things, I, I saw Marcus Spears, a clip of him from ESPN. They played it on Morning Joe earlier today. And the mere existence of the Rooney rule in and of itself shows you that the system is broken. And the comments right. from Troy Vincent, Peter King and I talked about this earlier today. Troy Vincent is going to be the star witness for Brian Flores, the executive VP of football operations, been with the NFL for nearly a decade. The things he has said on the record are jarring. And when I was practicing law, don't give me a hard time, Miles. I want people to understand. I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to do that today. I'm not. Preemptively today. I was. It was. That was preemptive. You preempted it, but no, no. Like this actually is a good spot where you used to be a lawyer because it means that we can more fully understand as not just myself, but with the entire audience, what exactly this means. So I wasn't going to do that today, but please continue with your point. You'll do it tomorrow. I. I. Probably, uh, uh, or, or definitely. I, my point is, when I handled cases like this, and I handled cases like this, and it's different categories of protection that apply to people under state, federal, and local law, whether it's race, age, gender, national origin, religion, various other protected characteristics, somebody who complains about a safety hazard in the workplace and then becomes the subject of potential retaliation because he or she is a troublemaker. Those are some of the best cases I ever handled when I was practicing law. But no one's ever going to admit to anything. You're never going to get anyone to admit to a single thing. They're never going to say they were influenced by it. And maybe they could pass a lie detector test. Maybe they don't even realize they're, they're subconsciously influenced by it. But when you have words, undeniable, undisputable, or indisputable, as the case may be, from an executive with the company... Like the things Troy Vincent has already said. You, you don't need to get somebody to snap under oath like Jack Nicholson and a few good men. You don't need to someone say, you're damn right I did. You don't need that. You just use their words and you weave a tapestry of circumstantial evidence to lead to the inescapable conclusion that there is a bias based on whatever the protected characteristic is. And in this case, obviously, it's race. And Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones, who now, now remember, yesterday, the NFL statement was the case is without merit. Here's a quote from Jerry Jones at the, at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. This comes courtesy of USA Today. I can see it's an area, one of many that we can do better. The area has some good attention. This is obvious if you look through that, that the league and coaches are trying to improve there. I think the fact it's an issue shows not only the league's willingness to address and do better. Um, the Rooney Rule. I think the fact that it's being discussed is how the Rooney Rule or what drives the Rooney Rule could be better. I, this, it's, look, he didn't put his hand completely in the fire on this, but that is a contrast to Brian Flores' claims are without merit. That, that, that's a yeah. more realistic view. I mean, it's an acknowledgement that something's wrong. Something's clearly wrong. And the idea that they would come out of the gate saying the case is without merit means whether it's wrong or not, we're going to fight you tooth and nail because we're not going to acknowledge it's wrong. We're going to force you to come after us and we're going to make it about you. We're going to make your life a living hell in the context of this litigation. They won't say that, but that's the message. We're going to fight you. It's an adversarial process and we are going to be fully adversarial. You can bet good money on that. So uh, I, I, again, I don't think Jerry Jones said anything that, that gives up the, the farm, so to speak, but, but I guarantee you he'll be questioned under oath because he's one of the original violators of the spirit of the Rooney rule. He was hell bent on hiring Bill Parcells and he did a perfunctory phone call with Dennis Green 
to comply with the Rooney Rule, forcing the league to amend it, saying, no, sorry, the interview has to at least be, you know, face to face. You can't just call the guy on the phone and say, hey, you interested in coming to work for the Cowboys? Yeah, I'm interested. Okay, I'll get back to you. Click. You can't do that to check the box. And that's the problem. There's been way too much box checking. There's been too many efforts to circumvent. And all that is going to be evidence now in the Brian Flores lawsuit. I can go on and on about the examples where there has been effort to circumvent the spirit of the Rooney Rule. That's all going to be relevant evidence to prove. Because, again, no one's going to sit there and say, there is a racial bias when it comes to hiring coaches in the NFL. No one's going to admit to it. So you have to prove it through other evidence. My point is, there's plenty of other evidence. And the stuff from Troy Vincent is the closest thing you're ever going to get to somebody admitting there's a racial bias. Because he kind of did. Right. Well, yes, yes. And, well, you know, you mentioned the, the NFL statement, you know, basically saying that not basically, I shouldn't say that. The, the direct quote was that they said that those claims are without merit, right? And I feel like that's an area where we have to remember that the NFL basically works at the behest of its 32 member clubs. So when you have Brian Flores really coming after at least three member clubs in that lawsuit in the Dolphins, the Giants, and in some ways the Broncos, right? That's where you have to have the league really, really push back hard on that. Because when you have the league, that's in the commissioner specifically, like they work at the behest of the 32 owners. So if Stephen Ross and the Maras and, the, and Steve Tisch, right, and then um, also the Broncos ownership group and that franchise is about to be sold, but what, what have you, if they are looking at what's in that, that lawsuit and they read that and they're like, no, 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 we got to push way back hard against this. That's why I feel like you get the NFL then saying, yeah, these claims are without merit because why else or what else would those teams say in order to defend themselves, especially the Giants who just went through a coaching search and just hired somebody. You know, today, even at PFT, we're still writing stories about Brian Dayball's new coaching staff. Well, what else are they going to say? Right, Steven Ross is being accused of blatantly tanking. What else is he going to say? But th these claims are without merit. So that that is why that that even if the NFL, which really should you know properly investigate all of the different claims that are in that lawsuit, uh, you're not just going to come out and say that at that time. I, I understand why there's a difference between the league and what Jerry Jones is saying at this point. But the point is, when you say right out of the gates, hours after the suit has been received that the claims are without merit, that is the equivalent of the middle finger emoji being texted to someone. Oh, for That's sure. That yes. Is. Yes. You know, and, yes. and that, that in and of itself, to, to a person of average intelligence and goodwill, to see that, you say, you know, that's kind of offensive that that would be your response to something this serious and this historic to come out right out of the gates. A week after, they get sued by San Diego on a lawsuit that I think is borderline frivolous because all the statutes of limitations, as far as I can tell, under California law have expired. And their response is, we decline comment. Well, just decline comment on this one, too, then. You know, they, they come out and thump their chests when they get their asses kicked later. They thump their chests about St. Louis and they ended up paying St. Louis $790 million. So maybe it's a good sign for Brian Flores that they took the posture they took. Maybe that's one of the ingredients to the league doing something by way of defending the case that ultimately blows up in its face. Speaking of things that will blow up potentially in someone's face, you mentioned it. The allegation by Brian Flores that 
Stephen Ross offered $100,000 per loss in 2019. Obviously, Ross denies it. Flores, uh, it, it really isn't directly relevant to his claims, but oh my God, it makes the case a lot juicier. It makes the, yes, it, it makes it makes every it raises the stakes. And there's an argument to be made. I don't want to get too deep into the legal woods here. There's an argument to or weeds. There's an argument to be made that they should have held on to that for now because that's a shot hmm. that you fire once. And to the extent that you want to build leverage, you you don't lead with that. You don't make that known because once that's out there. That, that 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 suggests that Brian Flores' attitude is screw it, I'm burning the house down, and I don't care what burns up with it. But sure. the, the point is this: with Hugh Jackson coming out and suggesting that the Haslam's, Jimmy specifically, did the same thing in Cleveland. I was on with Dan Abrams earlier today, and I hadn't thought about this until he mentioned it. And then I went and did the research. Federal law, the Sports Bribery Act, it is cl- as clear as it can be. If you offer someone, you don't even have to have it accepted. If you offer someone an inducement to deliberately lose a sporting event, that is a violation of federal law punishable by up to five years in prison. That, that, that's probably something Stephen Ross and Jimmy Haslam didn't think of if they did make those offers because they have a strategic reason for doing it. But in an era of legalized gambling, 2019, that specifically the Dolphins have a bigger problem because when, when it was going on with Hugh Jackson – Legalized gambling hadn't hit yet. He got fired middle of 2018 season. 2019, by then, it was up and running in multiple states. And there could be litigation from the people who bet on the Dolphins in those states against the NFL and against the Dolphins. This, this has the potential hmm. to be a separate mess that could be, at the end of the day, even costlier for the NFL and Stephen Ross. Because if there's anything to this, Ross has to turn over his franchise. Right. And that see, that's what really made me think the most about like what are the consequences going to be from something like this with the lawsuit yesterday? I mean, uh, unfortunately, uh, I mean, I, I don't even know like what I should be really thinking about this, but the racial element of this to me is not what would lead Stephen Ross to lose his franchise. It is the fact that he could have been messing with the competitive balance of the league by offering, basically telling his head coach, no, we need to lose games. You can't do that as an NFL owner. Like you, you just can't do it. it. It's you have to do, you have to make the quiet part stay quiet. You know, it's not like it's totally uh, unheard of to have a team kind of strip things down and to, in order to build it back up. There are teams doing that in some ways right now, right? But those teams still do try to win, you know? You can't just have your team blatantly try to lose like that because that could cost you your franchise. And the fact that it could now put Stephen Ross's team or Stephen Ross under federal investigation, maybe he would want to ask Jimmy Haslam how to uh, handle something like that when your company is under federal investigation because Jimmy Haslam does have some experience with that. Yeah, absolutely. And let me tell you, I still don't know why he ultimately wasn't indicted, tried, potentially convicted for what happened, because either he was Mr. Magoo and clueless about everything that was going on under his nose, or he knew exactly what was going on under his nose. And neither outcome is a very good look for him. But that all I'm sure he he had to sweat it out for a while, but that Mm -hmm. all went away. Now he and Ross have something else that they have to sweat out. And it's not an Look, I understand, and I say once, once you're eliminated from playoff contention, this is a result of the system the NFL has created that incentivizes 
losing so that you win in the draft order. I've always said once you're out of it, once you're mathematically eliminated or as a practical matter, you're done, what's the point? Stephen Ross's attitude, I believe, for 2019 was we're done before the season even starts. So let's go ahead and be as bad as we can be and try to capture the number one overall pick that became Joe Burrow, the guy he wanted and couldn't get, couldn't get the Bengals to even engage him in a discussion. They wouldn't even hear his offer. So now that the Bengals are as good as they are, I can see why, not that it's right, but I can see why he was upset with the guy who refused hundred grand a game, allegedly, to, uh, to blow those games. We could talk about the Brian Flores situation and all tentacles for three hours straight and still have other things we could talk about. We're going to take a break, we're going to regroup, and we'll have more about something related to the NFL. Not sure what, when PFTPM continues right after this. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. They are the Washington Commanders. New name, new marks, new uniforms, new everything. I don't get the patch. I don't like the fact that for their championships, they actually use the year that they won it, not the season it corresponds with. They didn't win the 1992 championship. They won the 91 championship. And I I guess they don't expect to win many more uh, because there isn't a whole lot of room there. You know, they're going to have to drop some (laughs) off or just abandon that approach. I guess it's safe for them to stick with that patch indefinitely because there's not going to be another one added on there. Look, I I think it's great that they dumped the name that they had. That needed to go. But I don't like anything about the new name. I don't like anything about the new uniforms. I don't like anything about it. There's nothing about it that excites me. There's nothing about it that I think looks good. I think it looks amateurish. It looks sophomoric. It looks cheap. And it's exactly what I would expect a Daniel Snyder-owned organization to come up with. Boom. Okay. Um, I don't mind it. I I much prefer it to football team because I think football team sounds like what you just said, all those words, you know, amateurish and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, I just I never liked football. It's sophisticated. It's got it cachet. It's like a soccer what? club. Washington football stupid. team. No, no, no. If it had been You're Washington stupid. football club, then <laughs> that would have sounded more sophisticated to me. Because it is like I like I'm that. Fine that. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I would have been okay with football club, but I don't like football team. It is a football team. I know it's a football team, but like, let's do, let's give it a little more panache, right? Let's make it plural. Finally, we have something that we can use that's plural, like every other team in the NFL, instead of something that is singular. I don't like that. The uniforms though, um, especially that, uh, that, that the black helmet, which is cool that they're using, you know, the alternate helmet now. I like that, but that thing looks like Wario, you know? Like Waluigi. That's all I can think of. Just Mario characters when I see that uh, that black helmet. I don't I don't really love that. But like I said, I just don't I never liked football team. I like that they have a new name. It, it's fine, but I kind of agree with you that it sort of sounds like one of those Madden created teams, you know? And the uniforms kind of look like that too. The black uniform reminds me of what they wear for that. Do they still do the 
the high school All-American game in San Antonio, which the the military is involved with in some way. It reminded me when I first saw it of those uniforms. I just, look, this is the perfect storm of Nike influence, organization that doesn't get it on multiple different levels. But for Ron Rivera, he's the only good thing that the Washington football team, a.k.a. the commanders, have going for them. Um, I, I just well, put Jason I, right in that category. T. Jason Wright seems like he's at least doing certain things right on the business side. Come on now. I don't know how much. I don't know how much real power he has, though. I really fair, don't. But he fair, should have more than he fair. has. He should have more than he has. And, and just the hope that this still clunky, clumsy. What's Dan Snyder's status, and when can he come back? And I, it's, it's. He was there today I just, for that announcement. Yeah. What 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 they what they should have done too, and this is where PR becomes very critical. And we've been giving a lot of free PR advice this week. Maybe I should start charging for it. But you need to to figure out what your name's going to be and come up with a strategy to get people behind the name. The problem is when you have a list of eight names, and I think you and I have talked about this before. Maybe we have. Maybe we haven't. Either way, I'm going to say it again. When you have a list of eight names, there's never going to be a majority of fans that get behind any one of those names. You have to whittle it down. You have to create anticipation. You have to find a way to get people behind it. And also, it would be helpful to have a, a, a realistic list of finalists and then get public input to figure out what people really want. Maybe they did it with commanders. I just, uh, Washington commanders, I don't know. Look, we get used to it. I didn't like Baltimore Ravens in 1996. I thought that was goofy, and I understood it was a whole Edgar Allan Poe thing, but it just doesn't scream football. Cardinals doesn't scream football. Ravens doesn't scream football. I mean, I guess commanders at least is closer to something that feels like football, but I just don't like it. And I, I, just, I don't like and I And if the uniforms would have been appealing to the eye, and I know it's subjective, but if they would have looked better, then maybe I could have gotten behind it. I just, I, I just, I just, it's not doing it for me. I'm glad that I'm not a fan nor grew up a fan of the Washington football team because I would have a hard time pivoting to the new name and the new uniforms. That's all I'm saying. I- I'll, I'll say this too, you know, A, I, I don't like those rat birds either. So, you know, and I, you know that I don't <laughs> think that they should exist. But anyway, uh, well, if they do, you know, they should have been an expansion franchise. But again, that's neither here nor there. I, I, I do think it's going to take a little bit of time to get used to saying like an actual Washington team name again, because I, I stopped using that slur and I never really usually wrote it. In writing, you know, whenever when I was covering the Rams and whenever they would play Washington, I just use Washington. So now actually getting to say a Washington team name and the Washington Commanders, like that's it's going to take some getting used to. Probably not as much getting used to as like San Diego going to Los Angeles or Oakland going to Las Vegas. Like is that I still like I think I called the Raiders Oakland the other day on the show. Like and I covered them in Las Vegas. So like that's stupid from my standpoint. But you know, it'll be fun to finally call Washington the Washington Commanders. But when that's the name that's that's been applied for so long, and, and again, the geographic name, it's not like there's anything troubling about it. I stopped using the former name of the Washington football team in twenty thirteen and and, you know, every once in a while I would slip and I would feel like I accidentally blurted out the F word when I did. Me too. And it didn't happen very often. Um, and, and there was a point where when I would go to say Raiders, I would feel that neuron fire because it starts mm. with an R where I right. felt like I shouldn't say Raiders. Um, when you're just going – because your whole life, that's the name of the team. 
That's it was my mom's second favorite team. That was the name of the team. And you just accept it. And then when you finally realize, yeah, maybe this isn't a word that people should be using anymore. It's hard to unlearn a lifetime habit of of referring to a football team by its name. Uh, You mentioned the Ratbirds, (laughs) a.k.a. the Ravens. Uh, Miles not holding a grudge at all for a move that happened when he was four. But uh, anyway, John Harbaugh, who's been the coach of the Ravens since 2008, meeting with reporters today, talking about the Minnesota Vikings potentially hiring his brother Jim. Here's what John had to say. If he, if, was it interviewing in Minnesota? Is that the, is that the rumor? Yeah. No, he's not in Florida today. I can, I can debunk that rumor. Um, he's, he's in, I, think, I think he's in Minnesota unless the plans change in the last few hours. But um, if, if he's in Minnesota... I'd be happy to play him in the next three years. If anybody understands how the schedule in the NFL works, they understand what that means. So that would be awesome, you know. Um, that'd be great. I, I tell you, I, you know, I'll sing his praises. I always do every time someone asks. I'm happy to do it. I think he's, he's one of the very best coaches in the National Football League, maybe even ever, in college football, and I think he's the best. So if the Minnesota Vikings are smart enough to get that done, then they'll, they'll, they'll be making a wise choice. And, hey, they had some great games when they were both coaching. They didn't have many, but they were fun. And there was that brief sliver of time where we reported back in 2013 or 2014. It was 2014. The 49ers nearly traded Jim Harbaugh to your Cleveland Browns. They would have played each other twice per year, and that would have been awesome. Yeah, well, it would have. Uh, you know, I do like the brotherly love thing. I thought it was kind of silly where he's like, oh, is the rumor that he's in Minnesota? Like, come on, man. Like, you know exactly where your brother is. You know exactly what your brother's doing. And I, But I think that, you know, if you're one of the Harbaugh brothers, you probably do want the other one in the other conference because you don't want to play your brother all the time. You know, it's it probably is a little awkward, especially because then when when your brothers and you're playing each other once every four years or, you know, every year, if you make it to the Super Bowl every year, which nobody really does, then at least you can spend the offseason kind of talking about different things. Or maybe if you have some common opponents, you can share a little bit of strategy. Like, I think that that would be really cool if you're if I had a brother and I could do that. I don't have any siblings, so I really don't understand sibling dynamics. But I thought that that was nice from Harbaugh today. And look, John has been a great coach since 2008. Jim was 44-19 and won in four seasons with the San Francisco 49ers and turned a team around that was 6-10, and 10, got them yeah. to the brink of the Super Bowl without the benefit of an offseason program. He showed up for the first time with his team late July, early August after the lockout and – got the team nearly to the Super Bowl, but for a couple of Kyle Williams muffs on punts against the Giants, they very well may have made it. Let's take a break. Speaking of the 49ers, where will Jimmy Garoppolo play in 2022? We break out the crystal ball. Not the crystal meth, the crystal ball. (laughs) Continues right after this. We've talked a little bit. I think more will happen uh, in the days to come. But, yeah, these guys have been very upfront about the whole thing. I was talking to John yesterday just about, uh, you know, finding the right destination and uh, whatever, you know, the future holds, just doing it the right way. And it's, uh, you know, got a long career ahead of me. So I'm trying to – I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the opportunities to come. I just want to go to a place where, uh, you know, where they want to win. I mean, that's really what I'm in this game for. I, I'm here to play football, here to win football games. And as long as I got that and uh, good people around me, I think the rest will take care of itself. 
I just want to go to a place where they want to win. Before yesterday, we would assume that was anywhere, but, you know, you, you never know where they want to win and where they don't want to win. Maybe that Allegedly. becomes a relevant question. Yeah. You're not offering bonuses to lose, are you? Because if you are, I want me some of that. I, you know, <laughs> um, Break I mean, out you the crystal and I can ball. Go coach a team and lose, right? I, 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 I yes. Uh, I, I, I would be very good at that. Uh, break out the crystal ball. Where did Jimmy Garoppolo play next year? Okay, so I, this makes me think of like last year we were talking about this with Matthew Stafford, and I actually was very good at that because I predicted the Rams, and then lo and behold, like two days later, they did it. So the Washington makes sense. The commanders, uh, they make sense as a team that needs a quarterback. Also, I mean, someplace like Carolina, but I don't know how desirable a place that really is, just given what the situation there is with Matt Rule. Steelers, of course, after Big Ben's retirement. But for Dark Horse, I'd say the Raiders, right? That is a team with Josh McDaniels now, who was Jimmy Garoppolo's first offensive coordinator. And granted, you know, Jimmy G never really played all that much with the Patriots before he got sent to San Francisco, but that's still an offense that he's familiar with. It's a person who started to train him up in the league that he is familiar with. And right now we don't really know what Derek Carr's situation is with that team. Last time Josh McDaniels took over a team, he was the one who shipped away. Jay Cutler is basically his first order of business. So, you know, there's a lot that needs to be worked out, I feel like, with Derek Carr, who's going to the last year of his contract, and the Raiders. Jimmy Garoppolo could make sense there. Hey, Derek Carr may not want to be there either. He may say, I either want a contract extension or I want to go. I don't want to be exactly. a lame duck. I have... I don't deserve that treatment. So if you're not going to make the commitment to me, trade me to a team that will. Maybe he goes to Carolina when it's all said and done. So the Raiders make sense. For the Raiders make sense, and the Steelers make sense just because they can't go. You, I'm, I'm sure Mason Rudolph is a nice guy. I'm sure he is. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe he's a butthole. I don't know. I'm, I mean, not, I'm not sure of that. Yeah, I I, I don't. I, yeah, it's, okay, Browns fan, but. Um, he's not a very good quarterback. Haven't we seen enough? Art yes. Rooney, if you're watching, and I know you're not, haven't you seen enough to know that this is not your answer at quarterback? Not that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to take a team to a Super Bowl. I mean, that's the thing. you got to get him in a place where you can get the most out of him, you can play to his strengths, you can avoid his weaknesses. And, you know, At a certain point, a guy just is who he is. And Jimmy Garoppolo is a middle-of-the-pack-at-best option. And that's fine. Somebody's got to be in the middle of the pack. Someone's got to dig ditches, as Judge Smales said to Danny Noonan. Somebody's got to be in the middle. They can't all be top 10 quarterbacks. You got 32 teams. You can't wedge 32 quarterbacks into the top five. But Jimmy Garoppolo, at best, is middle of the pack, and that's all he's ever going to be, and that's fine. That's fine. But you got to recognize who he is, and uh, there will be a place for him. It's just not San Francisco anymore. The moment they traded up from 12 to 3 last year was the moment that the clock began to tick on Garoppolo leaving San Francisco. He suffered through a full year of that uncertainty, and I suspect he doesn't want to be there, regardless of whether they want to keep him, because maybe they want to keep him for another year. He's probably at the point where he's like, no, you know, I'm, I'm, done. I'm done being whatever role this is that I'm in, where, like, you, you're trying to get more out of me by having this, this young guy nipping at my heels, and you're trying to get him to develop – with me, I don't want. I'm done. I want to go to a place where I know I'm the guy. I wouldn't. I wouldn't fault him at all for having that attitude. 
Oh, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't either. I mean, especially after you go through an entire season like he just did. And frankly, he got that team in some way. And we can say that they won in spite of him or not. But he had them on the cusp of winning the NFC championship game. Now, he didn't make the plays like he did in week 18 when they were in that same stadium against the Rams. But... Now, Jimmy Garoppolo is the kind of guy that when he goes out there, he has a history of winning. Like, at least we can say that for him. Um, and you can't necessarily say that about all quarterbacks. So I, I think that he can go someplace and be successful as long as the right offensive system is in place around him and the right offensive weapons are also in place around him. Um, Jason Light, the Buccaneers general manager, met with reporters last night when the big story was supposed to be Tom Brady's retirement. Here is Light oh, talking yeah. about Kyle Trask, second-round pick last year, who will be potentially a candidate to take over as the starter in Tampa Bay post-Brady. No one wants to be in a position where they don't have a quarterback, and we feel very, very fortunate, and I'm, we're not crowning Kyle as the heir apparent yet, but we feel very fortunate that we got him when we did last year because where he stacks up with, with quarterbacks in this year's draft, it, you know, it's going to be everybody has going to have their own opinion, but I feel pretty good about where he stacks up with these, with these quarterbacks. So I feel like we made a, we made a good decision last year. The question is, will the coaching staff be comfortable going with a youngster after having 44-year-old Tom Brady with all the experience in the world to a guy who's going to have to be taught? And hopefully he paid close attention and learned from Brady this year. They also have Blaine Gabbert, and that's a guy that Ooh. Bruce Arians called uh, the most underrated player in the league. You really okay. said that? He really said that. He really said that. And and we know Robert that Robert Woods that is my likes, most underrated player in the league, just for the record. Br- Kirk Cousins is mine. Bruce Arians likes to have a cocktail from time to time, uh, and that's fine. So, so do I. Do I. <laughs> but, but we did not do a blood alcohol test of Bruce Arians promptly after he declared that Blaine Gabbert is one of the best or most underrated players in the league. He may have been in the I love you, I love you, I love everybody mode of the <laughs> the upward curve of the BAC. Um, okay, who's the who's the starting quarterback week one? Crystal Ball, who is it for the Buccaneers? I, I bet it's Kyle Trask. You know, I, I think that they, they must have seen something in that guy last year to draft him in the second round. He's got pretty ideal size. He did really good things at Florida that last year. I think he had, uh, I have it here. It's uh, 43 touchdowns, eight interceptions in 2020. That's not nothing when you're a, a, a college quarterback. Now, of course, you know, you're talking about different competition levels, but he also was able to sit and learn. You know, he's probably going in practice, sometimes playing on the scout team, going up against a pretty good defense. I think it'd at least be interesting to see him start in week one, you know, for the Buccaneers and see what happens. Yeah, you know, I'm probably going to go with Kyle Trask as well, although I think they will look around. Aaron Rodgers becomes a very intriguing alternative. I don't think the Packers would trade him there. And if I were him, I wouldn't want to follow Tom Brady. Yeah, you, 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 If you don't win the Super Bowl your first year with the the Buccaneers or if you struggle if you're not you know if you're not a great team with Aaron Rodgers then you don't compare well to Tom Brady and I don't think Aaron Rodgers wants to put himself in that position let's go ahead and take a break we have important Super Bowl news the most important Super Bowl news that you can muster with the game 11 days away we'll tell you what it is when PFTPM continues right after 
just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. The Bengals are the home team, even though they're playing in the home of the Los Angeles Rams. And they're going with the black jerseys. I wish they were going with the black pants. Bengals, black on black, baby. But this is good enough. And the flip side is, because the Rams, Miles, are the road team, we both feared the dirty dishwater uniforms. That's not the case. Thank God. No dirty dishwater for the Rams. They've cleaned their jerseys. They're white again. Well, that's what they look like. That's not, no, man, no, don't do that, man. I, I, it's I like bone. the bone jerseys. Ooh, it's I like bone. the bone jerseys. Ooh. I do. I like it. As long as I, Then I why were you happy when it was white? You were happy. Because you told me you're happy. I am. White. I am happy. I, I am happy. You know, I, and I like full disclosure. I know one of the lead designers on this project that was the Rams uniforms. I officiated his wedding. He's one of my best friends in life. I love the white jerseys, the yellow pants. I think they look great. That, to me, is their best kit. I think they should wear them all the time like the Cowboys do theirs. Kit. But the, the, the Washington bones. Football Club would like a word. Kit. Well <laughs> I done. I don't know. That's what it is, I That's guess. That's the soccer term. Are Fine. Then it's the soccer term. We are out of time. Yeah. In the show, Mike. Here we go. Um, I, I, have an, I have one more comment, but I'll, I'll make it to you offline. Okay. There's a tease. See you tomorrow. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.